Today's episode is sponsored in part by Shopify, Indeed, Economist Education, and Airbnb. Shopify simplifies selling online so you can focus on successfully growing your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Looking to sharpen your business skills with courses tailor-made for executives and professionals? Then check out Economist Education. Get 15% off any course, only available at education.economist.com slash profiting. Enter promo code profiting at registration. If you want to generate extra income and have space to share, you should definitely check out Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As always, you can find all of our incredible deals in the show notes. Making money is accessible to you right now, wherever you are in your life. You could sell things in your garage. You could babysit somebody's kids. You could mow their lawn, right? You could take the skills that you learned around marketing in college and turn that into a marketing consultancy where people can pick your brain about marketing for an hour and pay you 300 bucks or something like that, right? We all have skills and we can turn those skills into money. The world is better when there's diversity. We need women's perspective. We should care about having a women's perspective in courtrooms, in government, in major corporations that impact our society in major ways. There's study after study that have been done by McKinsey and all these different organizations that show that when we have diversity in boardrooms, when there is diversity on teams, decisions are better, companies are more profitable, they have a more positive impact. If you only cared about the bottom line, you should care about diversity. What is up, Young and Profiters? You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting podcast, where we interview the brightest minds in the world and unpack their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. I'm your host, Halataha. Thanks for tuning in and get ready to listen, learn, and profit. Young and profiters, are you ready to get on the fast track to earning more than a million dollars? You may sometimes doubt that you have what it takes to be a millionaire, but our guest today believes it's well within your grasp. Rachel Rogers is the founder of Hello7, a multi-million dollar company that teaches women how to earn more money and build wealth. Rachel has been featured in the New York Times, Forbes, CNBC, and Good Morning America, to name a few. She's the host of the popular Hello7 podcast and the author of the recent book, We Should All Be Millionaires. Rachel believes that making money is easy, and she challenges her audience to believe that too. Rachel, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Same here. I'm very excited for this conversation. So Rachel, today you are a multi-millionaire. But you didn't always start that way. You actually came from humble beginnings. I learned that you grew up in Queens. You faced a lot of economic hardships. So I wanted to start there. I wanted to understand what was it like for you as young Rachel living in Queens? What was your family dynamics like? How did you grow up? And what were the years like leading up to going to college? Yeah. So I grew up in a low-income household. There were times where we were like more middle class. And then there were stretches of time where we were more low income. And I just saw a lot of struggle around money in my household. So having the Con Edison, the electric company come and turn our lights off, just sometimes not having as much food in the house. And my parents just stressed about bills all the time. They both worked. There were a few periods where they got laid off. Then they had to take jobs where they worked a lot, but didn't make very much. They were always hustling, you know, and there was a ton of stress related to money in particular and just trying to keep their heads above water. And I just watched them do that. And so I think I got the message from watching all that, that money is pretty important and I need to learn how to make it. So I was pretty committed to that from a very young age. My mom used to watch like crime dramas on the weekend or courtroom dramas and I would watch with her. 
And I always wanted to be the lawyer that was like representing the little guy and that was like standing up to the man, right? (laughs) Whatever that was. I loved that imagery and that idea of advocating for people. And so that became my vision. I want to become a lawyer. And so I just was very committed to doing well in school, becoming a lawyer, which I did. So that was the early days and that was the influence that I had. I also did have like, I had an aunt who was pretty wealthy, two aunts on either side of my family. One was probably just middle class, but she seemed wealthy to me. She owned a home, which she was one of the few people that I knew that owned a home. And she drove a Jaguar. And I remember like there was nonstop talk about the Jaguar among our family. (laughs) That's my dad's side. And then on my mom's side, I had a wealthy aunt who had like a beach house, you know? So it's like, I saw wealth, but I didn't have it, right? In our household, it didn't impact us in terms of there was no money in our house or very little money in our house. And so because I was exposed to it and saw it, I knew it was there. I knew it was possible. There, There was another way of life that was possible. And I just wanted to figure out how do I get me some of that? I have a lot of people who come on the podcast and they're sort of like anti-college. But it seems like college was really the avenue for you to break this cycle and really start to get your feet on the ground and make some opportunities for yourself, even though you ended up not staying in law. But that seemed like the path that you were able to sort of build this foundation. So what are your thoughts on college and how did you actually afford to go to college and set yourself up? Well, luckily, watching my parents hustle taught me how to hustle. And so when it came to college, I went to a state university in the beginning and then transferred to a private school for the last two years. So that was like my strategy there. And I just lived off student loans. I always had part-time jobs where I was doing at least 25 hours a week, if not more, if I could get it. And so I just kind of worked my way through college. And then when it came to law school, I hustled. And I hustled in college too a little bit. So I would always be going to the financial aid office and, you know, they would give you like certain grants or they would give you like a small scholarship. And I'd go back and be like, can you do better though? (laughs) And so I always was negotiating with the financial aid office. Like I have really good grades. I've also been accepted to this university. Would you consider giving me a little bit more money? And I definitely used that strategy in law school to get myself a bigger scholarship for all three years, which was, had a big impact, right? I mean, I still left with a lot of student loans, but less than I would have had otherwise. And so is that kind of hustle plus working either usually not full time, but sometimes close to full time, like 30 hours a week, 20 to 30 hours a week. Always. I always had a job because that's how I paid all my bills. I couldn't rely on anyone else to cover expenses. Now, my opinion on college, I think it's totally worth it. I guess it depends on who you are, but there are a lot of things that I took from law school that I would not be here where I am today had I not done it. So, for example, learning how to be a really great writer. Law school will teach you that. Legal writing requires you being concise. You have to be persuasive. You have to know the facts like the back of your hand. You have to be able to tell a story really well. And you have a word count, right? So you cannot waste any space, waste any words. And so that makes you a really good writer. And then you're learning how to present because you do mock trials and you have to get up in front of the mock jury and represent your client's case. And there are so many different opportunities for that throughout law school. So I think in terms of writing and speaking, I learned how to be a really good writer and a really good speaker in law school in particular. And just learning how to make an argument, learning how to negotiate, learning how to mediate. These are all skills that I use today, right? That were very valuable to me. So knowing what I know now, I would do law school again, even if I was never going to practice law because of the skills that I took away from it that were so valuable. Learning what I was good at, the networking that's possible you're part of a network which helps you to get a job. I think there are a lot of benefits to college. Now, I mean, it's not for everyone, but for me, I would not change it. Yeah, I totally agree. I went to college and I feel like even just the experience, getting those skills, getting that discipline is helpful. And student loans suck, but hopefully you're able to use those skills and make money. So you graduated law school in 2009, I believe. So that was like right after the recession. You got a job as a law clerk which went pretty well. But then by 2010, 28 years old, you decided that you wanted to become an entrepreneur. So what made you think about taking that leap of faith? Why did you decide to become an entrepreneur? Because I didn't like any of the options available to me. So like you say, it was a recession. And the options were I could go work at a law firm that I didn't really want to work at, right? Where it was a grind. So you put in a ton of hours, 
And these were like mostly mid-sized firms, not huge firms, where you get paid pretty well, but you put in so many hours. And then you usually have to put up with very disrespectful, aggressive partners. It's just part of the culture. They don't treat people well. And so there's that, right? And then I could go into government work or I could go into nonprofit work. And while that that work was very interesting to me and I was very interested in doing that work and I applied to those jobs, but there was not that many of them. And the ones that I did get, they didn't pay well. And so I was just like, you know what? What if I just did my own thing, right? Then I could combine that desire to help people, to make good money and to like have some autonomy and get all three of those things. And I was kind of, here was my thinking. I was already broke, right? I was used to being a student. I had been a student for seven years. So I'd been broke basically my whole life at that point. And so I'm like, (laughs) if I get used to a law firm salary and get accustomed to certain things, it's going to be hard for me to be broke again, right? Right now I'm already broke. So I could just keep living my broke life and get this practice going. So that's what I decided to do. Yeah. And so that went well, but eventually you decided to pivot to business advisory from law advisory. And you started Hello7, which is your company today, which is super successful. So what made you realize that you wanted to pivot from law to business? I had a team at that point. So I had a couple of attorneys working for me. I had admin staff that worked for my firm and we had grown it to almost a million dollars. It wasn't quite at a million. And I just realized I really liked getting clients. I really liked the marketing. I loved the sales side. I loved managing the business and thinking about where the business could go and setting goals for us and hitting those goals and work and creating a plan to hit those. I loved all the aspects of managing and running a business. I did not like practicing law. It was like pulling teeth. So I would always be like up till midnight drafting contracts because it was like I'd spend my whole day managing the business And then at the end of the day, I'd be like, oh, there's still legal work to do. (laughs) And even when I was, even when I had the associates, right, I wasn't really doing the work. I was supervising them doing the work. But even that, I just was kind of bored with it. I got good at it. And then I got bored with it, which is what we do, right? We get really good at something. And then we're like, "Mm, let's learn something new. And then what was happening was a lot of my clients, they were all entrepreneurs because I practiced business law and IP law. And they would say to me, like, your business has grown pretty quickly. What are you doing? How are you able to hire people? Like, what's your marketing strategy? And so they started asking me about my business, which I would give them advice for free. And then I had a mentor tell me, "Mm, you should probably charge for that business advice. So I started to do it. And I just took one client and was like, let me test it out and see. And that one client, I just advised her for six months and her business blew up. And so I was like, oh, I'm good at this. And so I I just slowly but surely like was transitioning from practicing law to business coaching. And it took probably like a good 18 months to two years, still carrying some legal clients, starting to do business coaching. And then by the end of that two years, no more legal clients, totally focused on business coaching. You started this business and it was based on the things that people would ask you. And whenever I talk to people and they're like, what should I do for my business? What should I do for my business? I want to be an entrepreneur. I'm always like, well, what do people ask you about? Are people asking you for fashion advice? Are people asking you to do their hair? What do people always ask you about? That is where you should start with your business because that's what people think of you as the expert, right? So I thought that was really cool. So you've got this book and it's called We Should All Be Millionaires. And this is targeted mostly at women, but really it has useful material for men and women. So I really wanted to focus on the second half of your book, which is really an actionable roadmap on how to become a millionaire. But first, why did you write this book? Who did you write it for? The person I was talking to as I wrote the book was my sister. I wrote it because I wanted to codify all the advice that I was giving to my clients all the time and just have it be in a certain place. I also wanted this rallying cry that we are not focused enough on making money, right? Especially as women, as people of color, people who are more marginalized in our society. I think we think like, oh, I can only make this much. And we create a ceiling for ourselves or we create limits for ourselves. And this happens for men too, right? That we create limits for ourselves. And I just wanted to say like, we actually can make as much money as we want. Making money is really not that hard. We just need to focus on it. We need to focus on it. We need a strategy and we need to work that strategy and we can have everything that we want. So it was my way of saying, I've done this and I didn't think it was possible. Like when I look at how I grew up, I didn't ever think that I would be where I'm at right now. And so, you know, if it's possible for me, it's possible for other people. And I wanted to give that advice. I also felt like there was advice missing from the marketplace, right? Like most finance or business books are written by white men. 
And I wanted to share a Black woman's perspective on how you can do that and write something that is for everybody, right? For everyone to learn about how to build wealth and like a scrappy strategic way. This is not a, I'm starting with a big investment and I'm going to grow my business. It's like, I have no money, but I have a certain set of skills. What can I do to build this business? And that's who this book is for. You have nothing. You don't have a network. You don't have any money to invest. I started my business, this business with 300 bucks and it's an eight figure business now. So I just wanted to show that it's completely possible. And I felt like this advice was missing. As I was researching you, I found out that only 2% of all small business owners that are owned by women actually break a million dollars a year in revenue. Do you have any other stats that kind of showcase what the landscape is in terms of women being millionaires? Yes. The other part of that stat that I think is really important is that over 40% of all businesses in the U.S. are run by women. So we run a lot of the businesses, but we only make 4% of all revenue that comes from small businesses in the U.S. Only 4% is attributable to women-owned businesses. So it just goes to show there are way more women entrepreneurs that are making $50,000 or less in total revenue than there are women entrepreneurs who are making even six figures is significant for a woman entrepreneur in the U.S., right? And so I think we need to highlight women entrepreneurs and what's possible. And it's not just women entrepreneurs, it's diverse entrepreneurs, it's black entrepreneurs, it's people of color entrepreneurs, it's entrepreneurs who have a disability or a chronic illness and are running their business, right? And how do we do it when we feel like we have challenges and other things stacked up against us and systemic issues in our society that prevent us from being able to build wealth? How do we still do it anyway? That's who I speak to and that's who I want to serve because I want to make sure that we can all do it, right? That's the whole point of the book. We should all be millionaires. It's possible for all of us if we want it. And why do you think that men should care about this issue? If most of the millionaires are men, if most of the small business owners who are making, you know, 96% of all the revenue are men, why should they care? Because the world is better when there's diversity, when there's equality, right? We need women's perspective. Why should we only have a man's perspective, right? We should care about having a women's perspective in courtrooms, in government, in major corporations that impact our society in major ways. They're creating technology. They should be considering half the population when they are doing that. And so there's study after study that have been done by McKinsey and all these different organizations, major consultants that show that when we have diversity in boardrooms and when there is diversity on teams, decisions are better. Companies are more profitable. They have a more positive impact. If you only cared about the bottom line, you should care about diversity. And so I think our society is just better when you have a plethora of perspectives and different life experiences in the room making major decisions. And so that's why I think they should care. And also men have mothers, men have daughters, men have sisters, right? Do you want your daughter or your sister or your mother to be oppressed, right? Or do you want them to have the same freedoms and equality that you have? So I think we all should care about all of our representation, right? All identities should be represented, celebrated, and have the opportunities that are available in this country. Yeah, totally. And like I mentioned before, all the strategies in your book, men can use them as well. So let's get into the ways that we can become millionaires. One of the biggest problems that people have is just not having the right mindset around money. So can you talk us through some of the big things that people usually need to overcome with their mindset related to money? Well, one of the most practical things is just like what they think they're capable of. Even just what can I do in a business? What should I do in a business? And I think people think that they should do whatever's hot right now. Like, oh, AI is hot. I should get into that. I should start a business related to that. Or, oh, this topic is hot. And it's like, cool that it's hot. But are you actually going to commit to that hot topic, right? If you don't care about it, if that's not something you're passionate about, if that's not matching your natural skill set, right? If you hate your job, you're dreading it every day. You're doing the least that you could possibly do <laughs> every day in your workday. You're not going to do your best work when you absolutely hate the work that you're doing. But if you love the work that you're doing, you're going to do it on the weekends, right? You're going to be thinking about it even when you're not working. You're going to be so excited about it. Like you're going to be lit up. I think people rely too much on discipline and they don't rely enough on what am I naturally drawn to. So I think knowing yourself and really looking into doing personality assessments and saying, okay, what does StrengthsFinders say for me? DISC, Colby, these are all different personality assessments where you can kind of get a sense of what am I really good at? 
And it's those things that you were drawn to as a kid, the things that people always asked you, like you said earlier, right? Those things are the things that your million dollar business is going to be from. When we try to like force ourselves into an industry that we actually don't care about just because it's hot right now, we're not going to be successful, right? It's going to require an enormous amount of discipline to do work that you're not excited about long term. So I prefer folks to do something that really matches their personality and their vibe and their ideas and their creativity, value that. Because those ideas and that creativity is worth millions, literally, if you value it and recognize that it has value. I think sometimes we're just like, oh no, everybody else's ideas are good, but not mine, right? This, that was just a stupid idea. No, that's potentially an idea that could be worth hundreds of millions of dollars, right? If you're willing to execute on it. But the only way we're going to execute is if we believe in it. So I think really Understanding what you're good at and do and focusing on that, valuing your ideas is incredibly important, and then being willing to do the work and execute. Let's hold that thought and take a quick break with our sponsors. What's up, Yap Bam? Being an entrepreneur and working remotely definitely has its perks. And I know a lot of you listening in are in the same boat as me. But do you really take advantage of being able to work from anywhere? I know I typically don't, but thankfully this past holiday, I finally decided to make use of my work flexibility for the first time ever. My boyfriend and I decided to pack up and leave to the West Coast to spend an entire month working from home in the sun. We got a super cute bungalow in Venice Beach with a fenced backyard. The change in scenery, the fresh air, and the slower pace helped me to inspire some really cool new ideas for my business. And honestly, I'm feeling really refreshed and ready to rock in 2024. And who helped me make these remote work dreams come true? It was Airbnb. And Airbnb has come in clutch for me time and time again. Whether it's finding the perfect Airbnb home for our three-day annual executive team get-together or booking a vacation where my extended family can fit all in one place, Airbnb always makes it a great experience. And you know me, I'm always thinking of my latest business venture and I've been begging my boyfriend to start hosting our place on Airbnb. And finally, we're gonna start. So many of my successful friends host on Airbnb, and it's such an amazing way to generate passive income. So to start, we have a plan to start spending more time in Miami, and we'll be hosting our place to earn some extra money when we're back on the East Coast. 2024 goals, and I'll keep you updated. A lot of people don't realize that they might have an Airbnb right under their own noses. I was pretty surprised myself. You can Airbnb your place or spare room, even if you're out of town for just a few days or weeks. You could do what I did and work remotely somewhere else and Airbnb your place to fund your trip. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host to find out how much your home is worth. Young and profiters, it's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. With inspiration at our fingertips and powerful tools at our disposal, the possibilities are endless. And when it comes to tools that can truly make your business grow, There's one name that always stands out, Shopify. (laughs) Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the real store with the door stage, and even the did we just hit a million orders stage. And if you're in that I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify magic is your AI superpowered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts from blog posts to product descriptions. Not to mention Shopify also is the home of the best converting checkouts in the game, 36% better than other leading commerce platforms. Shopify turns browsers into buyers. It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And you can sell whatever, whenever with Shopify. Push pleated pants with Shopify's in-person POS system or monetize mindful meditation. I sell my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass through Shopify and they've made my life a breeze. It took a couple days to set up my store and I just get to focus on what I do best, creating great content and marketing my product. So don't stress if you're new to this commerce thing. Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. And remember, whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting and that's all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash profiting to start growing your business today. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. One thing that I liked in your book that I thought was really fun, you drew 
some distinctions between million-dollar decisions and broke-ass decisions. Can you tell us about the difference between million-dollar decisions and broke-ass decisions and some examples? Yes. So million-dollar decisions are expansive, right? They allow you to expand. They allow you to step into abundance. They allow you to create more opportunity for your life. Broke-ass decisions make you shrink, make you feel small, make you feel stuck, right? And so a lot of times our society says practical decisions are often broke-ass decisions, right? Like, oh, I can't spend that money because I could lose it. Whereas if you spend that money, you could also increase it and build wealth through it. But we're too afraid to do it. So it's really believing in your ideas, taking action on it, being willing to take a risk, deciding that you're worth, your dream is worth taking a risk, investing that money, investing that time, investing that energy and getting the result. And instead of doing the broke-ass decisions that's close everything, keep your money tight, don't waste your time, don't bother, don't quit your day job, that kind of energy is broke-ass decisions, right? Because people who are self-made, people who have built wealth when they didn't come from wealth, they didn't do that by holding on to every dollar, by saving all of their time and energy, by never investing it. They do it by taking risks and stepping into opportunity and being open to trying things, and being open to failing and making mistakes. So that's really million-dollar decisions versus broke-ass decisions. So for example, you could spend your time cutting coupons and save maybe $50 on groceries a month, or you could take that time you would have spent coupons and spend that time building a landing page to sell an hour of your services, right? And in one client, you can make 500 bucks. So That's the difference. It's like, what opens us up to opportunity and what's just trying to save every nickel and dime, right? That actually takes so much time and just still leaves you broke in the end. I could not agree more. I feel like one of the things that I did differently from everyone else is I always have concentrated on just making more money, making more money. Now I look at my finances and I'm like, where should I save? Where should I invest? But in the beginning, all I did was just focus on making more money, making more money, making more money. I didn't care about even like doing returns, you know? Yes. Which is wasteful. But it's like, I was like, fuck it. Like I I could spend an hour dropping off the stuff, putting it in a box, da, 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 and get my $80 back. Or I could spend an hour and make $1,000. And then I always choose the alternative. So just talk to us more about why saving isn't what we should focus on. So many people are focused on saving and not making more money. I know. And it's like, okay. So let's say you make $50,000 a year and you want to save. The cost of living is the cost of living, right? Housing, for example, is a huge portion of everyone's salary these days, right? So like, let's say the max you could possibly save is $5,000 and that hurts to save it, right? So that means no fun, no going out to eat, no clothes, no joyful purchases, right? It's all about just living and saving that $5,000. Cool, right? Then what? Let's say you put it in an interest-bearing account. Next year, you'll have $5,500, right? Or you could take that $5,000, invest it in a training to learn how to become an entrepreneur that sells a certain service or skill or something. And by my client's experiences, like one of my clients joined my program. Within six months, she was making $100,000. And then within a year, she had quit her job and was making $250,000. And now she's making over $500,000 two years later. And that was an investment of, I think my program at the time was three grand that she made to learn from me and my membership community how to become an entrepreneur. Your friends you know, might say to you, don't spend that, that's a scam, it's never gonna work, right? Like all of these things about why you shouldn't spend that $5,000, you only make $50,000, right? But like this $50,000 is literally never gonna be enough. We have inflation happening. So this $50,000 is actually getting smaller year after year after year, right? So like, that's actually not gonna solve the problem. In order to solve the problem, we have to do something wildly different. We have to get new skills so we can get a better job making more money. We gotta negotiate higher pay. These are the things that are actually gonna equal a lot more. When you have so little, and trust me, I've had so little for more of my life than I've had a lot, okay? (laughs) Way more of my life has been spent having so little and knowing how to like make a dollar out of 15 cents, right? However, that little bit, there's no saving that's gonna happen when it costs what it costs to live. So that's not the strategy that's gonna help you get out of that cycle. What's gonna help you is getting new skills, 
making investments and learning how to make real money. I love what you're saying right here. I especially like the fact that you're highlighting that instead of saving $5,000, go invest in yourself and get skills so that you can make money from that instead of just putting it away. When you're young, it's way better to invest in yourself and make more money. So I totally agree. So let's talk about this concept, which I love, where you talk about imagining your dream life and then figuring out how much your dream life costs per month. This was one of my favorite ideas from your book. Yes, it's literally where I start with every single client that I've ever worked with. And it's called Million Dollar Vision. And I think it's chapter six of the book, but there's a process that I take my clients through because I'm always like, okay, well, what's the goal? Why are we doing this, right? We want things. What are the things that we want and what does it actually cost? Because sometimes we think like, I need to be a millionaire Maybe, or maybe you could have everything that you want if you were able to make $200,000 a year. So let's actually look at like, what is our next goal and where are we trying to get to? These are the things that are motivating you right now to try something different, to put yourself out there, to take a risk. And so you make a list. So I wanted a bigger house. I had three kids and my house was a two bedroom, small little house. And I was like, I want more space. (laughs) Okay. But to upgrade, my house was $350,000. And to get a house with more space, it would be a million dollar house, right? So that's three times the amount of the house that I had at the time. So I wanted a bigger house with more space for my family. I wanted to be able to send my kids to extracurricular activities. I wanted to be able to help out my mom because she was always stressed about money. So I wanted to be able to like just pay her rent and take that pressure off. I wanted to save, right? I wanted a nicer car. I was driving a minivan for six years. And it was so exciting when I turned that, listen, and shout out to that minivan, okay? Because that took me a lot of places and took care of my life, was <laughs> made my life so convenient in so many ways with all these kids. But listen, when I turned that in and got my nicer car, it was a magical moment. But, you know, it's like I wanted certain things, right? And so I created a, that list. And those were some of the things on my list. And when I looked at it, and then I calculated what is the monthly. And I also wanted vacations. So then I looked at what is the monthly cost? How much would I save every month in order to have a few vacations a year, the kind that I wanted to have? How much would it cost for a million dollar house? A mortgage on a million dollar house at the time was like $5,000 a month. Okay, so I need $5,000 a month. And just adding it all up, what does it all cost to live that lifestyle? And it came up to like, let's say twenty-five dollars to $30,000 a month was the number. And at the time I was making like $12,000 a month in my law practice, right? What I was able to take home. And so I'm like, okay, now I have a target. I need to make 3x what I'm currently making. What can I do? And so then I started brainstorming. What are some ideas that I have to bring in more money? And then one of those ideas was creating a digital product. And that digital product was, you know, I had a lot of people coming to my law practice that couldn't afford me yet. They were new entrepreneurs. And so I was like, okay, great. What if I just packaged up my templates and a guidance on how to use them and which business entity to start and like all those different legal issues that come up when you start a business. I packaged it all together, put it into a product. And then I was able to sell that and I wasn't trading my time for money when I did it. In the initial launch of that product, I made $80,000. That was one of the things that I did, but it wasn't the only thing. So I just had a list of ideas and not all of them were good. Half of them were probably terrible, right? But the five to 10 that I took action on allowed me within, I think it was about a year later that I was buying my million dollar house, do all the extracurriculars, do all the things that I wanted to do, help out my mom, save money. Then once I got there, I was like, okay, well now what's next? What's the new vision now that I've accomplished all of those things? And so I create a new vision and then I create a new plan and then I start working that plan. And that's really all it is. It's just getting clear on what do I want? What does it cost? And what am I gonna do to get it? That's really what it is. I think that this is brilliant because instead of getting really overwhelmed by this huge number of what a house costs and what this costs and what having a monthly number all of a sudden becomes more practical and you can try to figure out what you need to do to generate that income. Now, one of the things that you do to sort of challenge people to break out of certain limiting mindsets is this 10K and 10 days challenge. So walk us through this challenge that you do. How many people have went through it? What are some of the results that people have gotten? Yeah, oh, thousands of people have gone through it at this point on their own. And then also in my community, we do it collectively every summer. And the first time we did it, let's say we had somewhere around 300 people participating in this challenge. And I told my someone on my team, I said, we, like we did a survey after the challenge just to say like, how much money did you make? 
I asked one of my team members, just add it all up. I'm just curious how much we made as a community, all 300 of us. And the number was like $2.7 million that was made in 10 days by 300 people. And I was like, holy crap. (laughs) But it was just so incredible to see the collective power of just being focused and deciding you're going to make something happen. And so 10K in 10 days, it came out of just saying, okay, now I've taught you all these things. Now it's time to take action. Because just knowing things ain't going to help you. You got to turn it into action and put the work in. And so I wanted to give people a quick way to try something. And I wanted to show people making money is accessible to you. It is available to you right now, wherever you are in your life. You could sell things in your garage, right? You could walk your neighbor's dog. You could babysit somebody's kids. You could mow their lawn, right? You could take the skills that you learned around marketing in college and turn that into a marketing consultancy where people can pick your brain about marketing for an hour and pay you 300 bucks or something like that, right? So whoever you are, maybe you're really good at cooking or you're really good at knitting, you could sell the things that you make. We all have skills and we can turn those skills into money or we have stuff lying around the house that we can turn into money. There's all kinds of things that we can turn into money. And so I really wanted to challenge people to get creative. And if you had no choice but to make $10,000 in 10 days, what would you do? What are your opportunities, right? When we take our team through this and in the book as well, I give a list of here's some different opportunities and options. And here's some stories about clients of mine who have done it, right? And here's how they did it. And just by doing that, they get some ideas, they try it. And so for 10 days, it's like you have some prep time where you're like, okay, what are my different things I'm gonna try to make $10,000? And everybody doesn't do 10,000. Some people set it at 5,000. Some people set it at more than 10,000 if that's exciting to them. It's like, what's a number that would blow your mind if you were able to make it in 10 days and challenge yourself to really do it? And so for 10 days, once they have their plan in place, then for 10 days, you're going to put yourself out there. You're going to send emails. You're going to call people you know in your network. You're going to post about it on social media. You're going to try all of these different cold email people. Pitch yourself. All these different strategies you can try to get the word out about this thing you've created or this offer that you have and ask people to buy it. And people shock themselves. They're like, this is never going to work. This is not possible for me. And then they do it and they're like, what in the hell? My favorite story is one of my clients, she had like a knitting course that she was like teaching people about how to knit and all of that. And she had like all of this yarn lying around, leftover yarn from like big batches. And she was like, I'm just going to sell this random yarn. So she just put the random yarn into like these packages and sold yarn and made thousands of dollars selling just like the yarn she had lying around her house. And I was like, this is my favorite story. Another client of mine, just went back to old clients who never paid their bill, right? Or like there was some part of the bill that they still owed her money. And she kind of forgot about it or never tried to collect it. And I'm like, go get those debts, right? And so she collected from past clients and then she did a massive garage sale. She had recently gotten divorced and she got rid of all of her ex-husband's stuff. (laughs) She made over $10,000 in 10 days with those two strategies. So the stories are just hilarious and so fun. And it's just so exciting to see people trying something, believing in themselves and giving it a shot. Now, does everybody hit 10,000? No, but everybody makes something. We've had a few people make nothing. And even the people who make nothing, they're like, I can see it now, though. First of all, half the time, they're just too scared to pitch themselves. So that's why they didn't make anything. They didn't get brave enough until the last couple of days. But then they were like, I see it. I see that it's possible. And if I just tweak my strategy this way, I'll be able to do it. So The 10K in 10 days challenge is magical. And I love seeing people do it. People DM me all the time on Instagram and they're like, guess what? I did the 10K in 10 days challenge and this is what I did. And I made all this money. My mind is blown and it's my favorite. (laughs) It's so great because I think the struggle that a lot of people have who aren't these like natural entrepreneurs who can just like get shit done and, and go after it. They can't get started. That's their problem. So this is like forcing them to get started and get some momentum. And $10,000 is not anything to sneeze on. That will change your life if you make $10,000 in 10 days. So I love it. So you talk about five main shifts that you've got to take in order to be a millionaire in the second half of your book. The first shift is about recognizing your true value and what you can offer to the world We talked about that a little bit, but do you have anything else to share in terms of recognizing your own true value? Yes. Part of it is something that I talk about in the first half of the book, which is around boundaries. Treat your time differently. 
If you want to make something happen, then value your time. You know, if your workday ends at five o'clock, end it at five and go home and work on that side hustle. Say no to like watching, binge watching Netflix or spending your weekend doing your auntie's taxes, right? Or joining the PTA that takes up a ton of your time. Whatever those things are, we have to carefully protect our time so that we can spend it on these money generating activities that are possible for us. But yes, it's all about just believing in yourself and looking at what am I actually naturally good at and then just try it because I would have never known I was good at business if I didn't have a law practice first. I would have never thought I wanted to go into business. I had zero desire to be an entrepreneur in the early days. So when you try something, even if it doesn't work, the beauty of it is you're going to learn something about yourself. You're going to learn something about what works and what doesn't. So you're either going to learn something or you're going to win one or the other. So you might as well try it. Another concept that I want to go over is pricing, right? So you recommend to shift to value-based pricing rather than hourly compensation. And you also tell people that immediately, and I love this, that they should double their prices. I think this is genius. So (laughs) talk to us about why we should double our prices and also what are the pricing mistakes that entrepreneurs typically make? Well, it's, it's totally connected to that, right? Valuing yourself. We undervalue what we can do. We undervalue our skill set. And therefore, we usually priced ourselves way too low, which is exactly what I did. When I was practicing law, I would do register trademarks for people. And one of my friends told me, you're charging way too low for this. And I'm like, mind your business, right? I got offended. I think people get so caught up and like so worked up about money and like what they're charging. And they're like, well, it took two hours of my time. And therefore, if I charge X amount for time, like it should be this amount of money. And I'm like, what the hell does time have to do for it? What is the value that you provided? So if I protect somebody's trademark and they then go build an empire that no one else can step on because they've got that trademark protected, that brand protected, that's hundreds of thousands of value, right? Even more millions of value potentially. So to charge $5,000 or $10,000 for that is nothing, right? Like that's totally worth it. Particularly if you want it done right and you don't want it done by LegalZoom, which is absolutely doing it wrong for sure, just so y'all know. (laughs) So thinking about your price, not based on how much time you spend, guess what happens when you price based on time? You get better at something, which means you get faster at it. Now you make less because you're better at it. That'll make sense, (laughs) right? So if I charge $100 an hour and it takes me five hours in the beginning, but then seven years later into my career, it takes me one hour to do it, I'm only going to make that $100, right? Whereas earlier in my career, I was making $500, right? If it took me five hours. So that's not the way to go. We have to value it based on and price based on what is the value that the person is providing? How is it going to change their life, benefit their life, right? What's going to happen on the other side of this and charge accordingly? And most people underprice, especially freelancers, new entrepreneurs, side hustlers, we absolutely undervalue ourselves. And so start by doubling. So like, if you're like, oh, you can get your hair done by me for $50, Double it to 100 and see what happens. I remember when my stylist, she was charging, I think it was like $50. And she was like, I'm going to raise my prices. Here's what it is. And she was all nervous about telling me. And I'm like, okay, what's the new price? And it was $60. And I was like, who cares? <laughs> like, <laughs> she could have charged so much more and I would have happily paid it and not thought twice about it. I think we tend to put our worries about money on other people. So we're worrying about other people's pockets, right? So I always tell my clients, don't worry about other, you know, OPP, other people's pockets. Worry about your own pockets, right? And making sure you're making enough money. So don't assume how much people are willing to pay or how much is too much. You don't know. Double it and see what happens. And that's one of the things that I did is just double it. And also too, you don't even have to announce that it's doubled. Just the next prospect that you talk to, the next potential client that you talk to, quote a doubled price and see what happens. And if they shrug their shoulders and pay it, then that's the new price. Yeah, 100%. And I always say, if you're closing more than 30% of your clients, you're probably priced too low. Like, it's okay to get no's and have people say, no, this is too much. Exactly. So you talk about not going alone. You're a big proponent of getting a personal assistant, not being a solopreneur. So give us some stats, first of all, of why being a solopreneur is actually not to our advantage. Yes, most studies show, and even VCs like and investors typically do not invest in a solo founder because once you run out of energy, you're done. There's no protection there. 
So it's really important that you have a team. And in order to build a successful business, you need a team. Most companies that are under $250,000, even beyond that, at the $250,000 mark is where you should absolutely be hiring people. If you haven't hired people already at 250, that is like the limit that you should be hiring people at that point. Most women entrepreneurs don't because we're trained by society to basically do all of the work. Even eldest daughters, they help their parents with everything. It's a societal thing. And so it's important to hire people. And I think men are better at this than women. Male entrepreneurs, I think, are better at recognizing, oh, if I had more help, then I'll double the output that I can have, then I'll make more money. And they can do that math. So doing that math is incredibly important. And I think that's why our businesses, particularly women entrepreneurs' businesses, stay so small is because they really take forever to hire that first employee. And I say always hire that first employee by $250,000 a year or before, because the sooner you do it, the sooner you're going to see significant growth. And you have the labor of two people making something happen. And also you have somebody to bounce ideas off of. If you're bad at one thing and good at another, you can hire someone who's good at that thing you're bad at, right? And now now you've got all of those skill sets within your company. So delegation, hiring people, it is essential. And of course, pay them well, pay them as well as you can. And even if you can't pay them that well, offer them remote work, offer them other benefits that they can enjoy if you can't pay as well. Some people are willing to take a pay cut to get other life benefits. We'll be right back after a quick break from our sponsors. I want to talk to all you employers out there and let's talk about company culture. At Yap Media, we have a super unique company culture. We are all obsessed with excellence and we even call ourselves this really cute name, Scrappy Hustlers. We're all scrappy hustlers at Yap Media. And my team is growing fast. And hiring is a pain in the butt, especially if you're looking for A players that are going to roll up their sleeves. But luckily, when it comes to hiring, I no longer feel overwhelmed by the search for the perfect candidate because I use Indeed, the ultimate hiring platform. Indeed's matching engine always presents me with a pool of high quality candidates that match my job description to a T. If you're tired of drowning in your hiring pool, Indeed is here to rescue you. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging your candidates, making the entire hiring process a breeze. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I've hired some of my best employees at Indeed, some of my best scrappy hustlers. With over 140 million qualifications and preferences analyzed every day, Indeed is constantly learning from your hiring preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets at actually hiring your perfect match. Join the ranks of more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that have already chosen Indeed to hire great talent. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash profiting. Just go to Indeed.com slash profiting right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash profiting. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Young and profiters, I've got a fun fact for you. Did you know that by 2030, over 85% of the jobs that will exist haven't even been invented yet? And that's why we need to acquire new skills and stay relevant and adaptable. By embracing lifelong learning, we can future-proof our careers and our businesses. That's why you've got to check out Economist Education. Economist Education provides online executive education courses tailor-made for professionals just like us, crafted by The Economist's own editors and special experts. Economist education courses are designed to sharpen your professional skills in key areas like data storytelling, critical thinking, sustainability, and so much more. I highly recommend checking out the Economist education course, Business Writing and Storytelling. It's packed with valuable practical advice on how to inform and persuade through writing reports, social media, presentations, and beyond. The best part, these courses are online, flexible, and self-paced, lasting anywhere from two to six weeks. You're guided by expert tutors. You'll dive into a mix of videos, podcasts, texts, quizzes, and weekly assignments. Plus, you'll get a three-month digital subscription to The Economist to support your learning journey. Economist Education provides access to online forums where you can network with peers around the globe. In a world where knowledge is power, Economist Education empowers you to lead the way. Economist Education is an incredible way to stay ahead in business. And I've got a special offer to get you started. 
Get 15% off any course only available by going to my special URL, education.economist.com slash profiting, and then enter the promo code profiting at registration. This offer ends on March 31st, so don't wait. For 15% off, go now to education.economist.com slash profiting and use code profiting. Again, this ends on March 31st. If you want 15% off, you've got to go to education.economist.com slash profiting and use promo code profiting at registration. Young and profiters, I actually have a nasty habit of ordering way too many groceries. I'm embarrassed to say it, but I've wasted so much food in the past and I felt really guilty about it, but now my conscience is clear with HelloFresh. Each week, I get ingredients shipped to me with step-by-step recipes. I get fresh, pre-measured ingredients that get me whipping up delicious dinners in no time. And then I reduce waste because you get exactly what you need and nothing else. I love trying new foods and HelloFresh has over 45 recipes and more than 100 seasonal add-ons to choose from every single week. It's so much fun to pick out my meals. It's easier than ever to find something that everybody in your family will enjoy. I personally like to stick with the basics when it comes to HelloFresh. I get their meat and veggies plan. I love the options they have for that. And trust me, it's cheaper than takeout and with pre-proportioned ingredients, you'll never waste money on excess food. And now Green Chef is owned by HelloFresh which gives me an even wider variety of meals to choose from. There's something for everyone. I love switching between the brands and you can enjoy both brands at a discount with me now. Skip the grocery store and save time with easy, tasty recipes delivered to your door. Go to hellofresh.com slash profitingfree and use code profitingfree for free breakfast for life. That's one breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at hellofresh.com slash profitingfree with code profiting free. I think a lot of my listeners know my background story, but something in case you guys don't know, I started my company with interns and VAs from the Philippines. Now it's like a really big company with 16 employees all around the world. But literally in the beginning, I had like a team of five people. Some were just getting stipends, U.S. interns. Some were getting 500 bucks a month to work full-time for me. And they were happy with that salary over in the Philippines, you know? So it doesn't mean that you need to invest a lot, but try to be creative to get the help. Because when you're first starting, maybe you can offer teaching people. and tra- Like, that's what I offered. I trained my interns and they wanted the experience, right? The VAs in the Philippines, there's a different cost of living out there. So you may want to look at overseas talent. Something that piqued my interest is that you recommend to get a personal assistant, not a business assistant. Can you tell us why you recommend getting a personal assistant? Yes. I think everybody's first employee should be a personal assistant. And this is my philosophy on scaling businesses, period. When you have a really great employee, you hire them an assistant. Now they can go further and do more. Now you're getting double the output out of that person and what is possible for them. And you're your first great employee. And so you should be the first one to get a personal assistant and that should be your first hire. And so all of those things that keep falling to the bottom of your to-do list, that's the stuff that the personal assistant can do. So for me, I had kids, right? So getting help with birthday parties and keeping on top of preschool emails and helping out with all of those household things, running errands, getting groceries, I get all that time back that I can then focus on my business or rest so that I'm energized when I am focused on my business. In addition to that, my assistant was in my inbox responding to inquiries because that's what was happening. I had incoming people saying, I'm interested in hiring you. And I could not respond fast enough because I was doing the work that had already been hired to do. And so I was losing money by not having somebody in that inbox responding to those inquiries immediately. And so having a personal assistant who could do those other things and also be in my inbox and also manage the scheduling so I didn't have to do the back and forth email dance over scheduling, letting her do that, letting her answer the phones, calling people back, all of that. That was huge for me and immediately enabled me to take on more clients, right? Which means I can make more money because I'm not doing any of the administrative work for my personal life or for my business. So I always say start with a personal assistant even part-time, even if all you could afford is five hours a week, you'll get some stuff off your plate. You'll get that five hours back. And this, what do you charge hourly, right? Like what is, what is an hour of your time worth? What is the value of that, right? And so then that's the money that you make back when you pay. If you pay an assistant, you know, $100 for five hours a week, what's that $100 worth to you when you're selling your services? Five hours of that. So That's how you want to think about it and make that investment. And you can always dabble with it. Just try it. That's what I always tell people, even with investing. 
try it in a small way and just see what happens, right? Try it even for one month and say, I just need assistance for these two weeks for 10 hours. Is someone interested in a short-term project? And just try it out and see what happens. And you're going to see, you're going to free up so much mental space, so much time, so much opportunity for you to go pursue clients, market yourself, make more money. And then you're going to be like, okay, will you take a full-time job? (laughs) Yeah. And some of the most low value tasks have to do with the household. That can waste a lot of your time folding clothes, for example. That's something I'm like outsourcing, please. I don't want to spend any time doing any of that, right? Uh, Oh my God, all of those things. I make my clients outsource laundry immediately, even beyond the personal assistant, like before you get it. Just do a drop-off service at the laundromat where you drop off your clothes And then my clients will be like, oh, I don't want anyone folding my underwear or like seeing my underwear. Get And I'm like, exactly. Get more committed to financial freedom than you are committed to people not seeing your underwear. Okay, it's not that serious. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we're on the same page. So Rachel, last January, I went to one of your events. And so one of your major revenue streams is hosting these amazing conferences. And so I went to the ROI Millionaire Summit. I was actually speaking about LinkedIn. And so I wanted to ask you about this revenue stream that you have with events. And I have a couple questions about it. So the first one is, how do you monetize? And, you know, this is for people who have no experience. What are the ways that you're monetizing your event? Are you getting sponsors? Are you just selling tickets? Are you getting memberships? What are the ways that you're monetizing your event? Yeah. Well, I've been doing events for years and ROI the Millionaire Summit is the biggest one that I do. And that you were there for the first one that we ever did. We're doing it again. And I love it. So with smaller events, it's really inexpensive. And I highly recommend it because if you want to get in front of customers and really bond with them and have them understand how you can help them, there's no better way than a live event. And so you do the live event, you teach some things, create networking opportunities, create a great experience. And then, you know, you can sell your services, sell your packages, have people sign up right there at the event. That's kind of the model for ROI the Millionaire Summit. That is a big investment. It is a multi-million dollar event. It's one of those things that's not going to make a ton of money in its first year. It's one of those things you have to invest in and it's a slow burn. And because my company is an eight-figure business, We're now in a position where we can make that kind of investment and we don't have to get it back immediately for us to still be okay financially. So that's a piece of it. Big conferences are expensive and I paid for it out of pocket. However, this year we are working on getting sponsors and we've hired a consultant to help us with that because I don't know anything about getting sponsors. I don't have sponsors for my podcast. I'm basically like scrappy and I earn everything, right? <laughs> so, Rachel, you do know I am running the number one business and self-improvement podcast network. So if you need sponsorships, we got to talk after. Okay, yes, <laughs> let's definitely talk. Let's definitely talk. I think sponsors is an important part of the model. But basically, you know, we sell tickets to the event. We basically break even on the tickets. So we don't make money from the tickets. The tickets just cover the cost of doing the event. Hopefully. In the first year, they didn't. But this year, they will. And then when you're at the event, you can sell your stuff, right? Whatever your products or services, you sell your packages and that's how you make money from it. And even on the first year, while we definitely paid out of pocket for the event itself, we were able to sell $3 million of our new program. It's a business coach certification program. That was pretty significant, right? That you can make $3 million at one time. I mean, it took a year of planning to plan that event, right? But at that event, it allows us to make a lot of money at one time. And that's money that's booked. It's not necessarily all coming into your pocket, but it's booked and it's like recurring revenue for the whole year. And so that's a little bit about the model and the economics behind it. Yeah. And the brand awareness that the event brings is probably so huge. It's like you're there. You've got all these people who know your name, that you're in charge of it. Even if they don't buy now, they're probably going to save up to buy later. So I think it's really great. The other expenses, I guess, would be flying out speakers, paying speakers, but then you can also get speakers to probably speak for free if you allow them to sell, right? Any other thoughts in terms of what you need to coordinate, what you need to do to put on an event that might not be obvious? Well, I mean, what we did was hire an amazing company to be our event planners and partners because my business, I have a lot to do already and I did not want to try to do it myself. So the reason why it was so well coordinated is because we hired someone whose expertise is event planning and experiences to do it. And that agency, their name is Verb. They're amazing. 
they don't do small events. They do big events, like big conferences. They actually do, you know, all of those Airbnb, like the Barbie house for Airbnb. Airbnb is one of their clients. They're the people behind that. So they do activations and experiences. And so hiring a partner who knows what they're doing is key. Okay. Even with sponsorships. I don't know a lot about sponsorships. I'm hiring someone to help me. So whenever you have this area, you don't have to like study for the next year to learn something, right? Hire someone who knows how to do it, who can make it faster and easier. So that's one piece of it. We pay all of our speakers and we treat our speakers really, really well because we want them to be encouraged to come back next year. One of the best things that happened too is the user-generated content. It was thousands of different impressions on every social media channel, all these different videos, reels, posts about this event that really helped to spread the word to your point about brand awareness. So I think that's really key too. And I think you can definitely do creative partnerships with speakers and really have a point of view. I think that is the key. If you're going to do a live event, why are you doing this live event? What's missing from live events that are available for whoever your target market is? And how can you come at it with a different angle? Because I think that's what really gets people, piques their interest and gets them to come out. Because it's a big lift. You're asking people to book a plane ticket, book a hotel, buy the ticket to the conference and show up. It's a big lift. So you got to have really something exciting that you're offering. And for us, it was diversity. It's putting speakers on the stage of every different background and just having different perspectives shared and really amazing speakers and really practical speakers on practical topics like LinkedIn marketing, right? Or like how to market yourself on TikTok or how to hire your operations manager, right? Like really practical training that's really valuable and tangible, including inspiration and big keynotes as well. Yeah. And I would imagine that people should really do work building their community and doing networking before you try to put on even a small event, right? So it's like, first, you've got to build the foundation, the community, then you can move on to something like that. Okay. So Rachel, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're running out of time here. So my last question to you before we close this out is what's upcoming for you? I know you have a podcast, you've got the ROI Summit coming up again. Talk to us about where people can find you and what's what's new with you. So I have literally five books coming out, which is bananas. Whoa. (laughs) Four out of the five are done. I still have one that I'm halfway through that I'm working on. But yes, the success of the first book led to a lot of books. So I have a deal with Audible. So I have some audio books coming out soon that I'm very excited about this fall. I have the workbook for We Should All Be Millionaires coming out. And then book number two, which is really practical step-by-step on how to build a seven-figure business. So those books are coming out. And I also have the kids' version of We Should All Be Millionaires is coming out soon to teen and young adults. So I have those books happening. ROI, The Millionaire Summit is happening again in Puerto Rico. So I'm very excited about that. I'm launching a new podcast with Nathan Barry from ConvertKit. He runs that software company. And so we are launching a new podcast. We still don't have a name yet, but it'll be coming out soon. And then I have a new newsletter that I'm launching as well called the Shmoney Newsletter. Talk about money, earning money, keeping money, and life as an entrepreneur. So launching and doing lots of things. I just feel like it's that season of like, it's back to school energy. It's like, let's let's put some new stuff out there. Yeah, that's a lot of new stuff. Five bucks, man. I'm writing my first book and I'm overwhelmed with just one. So <laughs> kudos to you. You are superwoman. Okay, so I end my show with two questions. The first one is, what is one actionable thing our young and profiters can do today to become more profitable tomorrow? What I encourage you to do is make an offer. Reach out to people and just come up with something that you can sell and reach out to somebody that you know in your real life who already knows you, who already trusts you, and just pitch yourself. Pitch whatever your thing is, even if it's just an hour of your time to pick your brain on a certain topic that you're really good at or you have an expertise on and just see what happens, right? Just start making those offers and pitching yourself. And I think once you do it, you get more comfortable doing it. And you can start to see that, oh, making money is totally within reach. I just have to try things I've never tried before. And what's your secret to profiting in life? And this can go beyond just building wealth. I think it's really taking care of myself, having a hardcore self-care process. So going to therapy, I get up at 5 a.m., I go for a walk, I go do weight training every day. And I just really, really prioritize what's important to me. So taking care of myself is key. My mental health, having lots of time with my good friends. I'm always getting on a plane like at least once a quarter to see my good friends. 
because they don't live near me. So like making sure I'm just enjoying my life. I think that's a part of it. Have more fun because that's the stuff when you're having fun and you're laughing with friends, that's when you're like, oh, I just got an idea. That's when they come. They don't come when you're like nonstop in front of the computer. So give yourself breaks, enjoy your life, celebrate your wins, however small, because otherwise we just work, work, work and that's depressing, right? So make sure you're enjoying those moments. And I think that's what fuels me and that's what gives me material for whatever the next thing is that I want to create. Yeah, 100%. And where can everybody learn more about you and everything that you do? Follow me on Instagram. I'm Rach Rogers, ESQ, Rogers with a G. And check out hello7.co. You can find my podcast, my book, and our membership community, The Club. I love it. Thank you so much, Rachel. This is such a great conversation. Yes, thank you. I absolutely loved this conversation with Rachel, and I admire how she's taking the gospel of money-making to a wider community while also making money herself doing it. Here are some key takeaways that I had from this discussion. First, the importance of executing on what you truly believe in. To truly succeed and flourish, you need a business that matches your personality, your passions, your curiosity, your creativity. Your passion may be worth millions, but you're not doing anything about it. You have to execute, And the only way you're going to execute is if you believe in it. Another key takeaway, diversity is valuable on multiple levels. When there's diversity on teams, decisions are better, companies are more profitable, and they ultimately have a more positive impact. If you care about your bottom line, you should care about diversity. Rachel also talked about million-dollar decisions, about focusing on growing your earnings. People who have built wealth didn't do that by holding on to every dollar and by conserving their time and energy. They did that by investing, taking risks, trying new things. Also, a good way to keep your goals in view, your million-dollar vision, as Rachel calls it, is to imagine your dream life and to put a monthly dollar figure on that. Figuring out how much your dream life costs per month is one of the best ways to make it tangible and attainable. Finally, make sure you're valuing yourself correctly. We tend to undervalue our skills and capabilities and to price ourselves too low as a result especially if we're freelancers, entrepreneurs, or side hustlers. And also value your time. Make a professional assistant your first hire. Free yourself up to do higher level things. Thanks for listening to this episode of Young and Profiting Podcast. If you listened, learned, and profited from this conversation with the amazing Rachel Rogers, then please share this episode with your brother, your sister, your mother, your cousins, your friends, your coworkers, whoever you think would find value in it. And if you did enjoy this show and you learned something, then why not drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcast? We have more than 4,500 reviews because we have such incredible listeners like you, and we would love to get your feedback on the show. You can also find me on Instagram at yapwithhala or LinkedIn by searching my name. It's Hala Taha. And if you want to reach out to me, the best way to do it is by messaging me on Instagram. That's the fastest way for me to find your message. I also want to shout out my amazing production team. You guys are awesome. Thank you for all you do behind the scenes. This is your host, Halataha, signing off.